Today, let's gather around the technological campfire and hear the story of Todd Sylvester, addict turned inspiration. How does our hero come to be addicted to drugs and alcohol as a teen? And how did he find his way out of that dark hole? What led him to try and help teens and young people not make the same mistake and instead take hope in who they are? Stay tuned. His story is featured in Simon Sinek's new book, Find Your Way. And today, we'll get a sneak peek at his why. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Todd Sylvester learned that the human soul is more powerful than addiction after he beat his own addiction over 25 years ago. In 1989, he founded the nonprofit anti-drug entity, Sly Dog, Drug-Free, That's Me, which features a sought-after education program for elementary schools. This program has encouraged over 100,000 school-age students while emphasizing principles of positive self-talk, the stories we're telling ourselves, that's what we're always talking about here, and personal commitment, goal-setting, and character-building, all the good stuff. He's a podcaster, an author, a speaker, and an inspiration. So, Todd, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for the introduction. And I'm very fortunate and blessed to be on your uh, podcast today, Lori. Well, when I heard you speak at the conference up at the University of Utah last year, I loved your four life-changing principles because they were right up my alley. Everything you were saying were the same things that I preach. <laughs> preacher yeah. preaching to the preachers. So, I want you to share those. But before you do... We need to know your story. Tell us right. your story. How did you get addicted and what was that like? And Yeah, no, that's a big question. Um, it started when I was 11 years old, actually. I, my dad had a wet bar in our basement and he'd make a mixed drink every night before he'd go to bed. And I always wondered what he was drinking and he'd say, oh, this is for adults. And both my parents worked at the time. And so during the day, me and my brother got curious and went behind the bar and started sniffing and drinking some of the hard alcohol, hard liquor that was behind there. I didn't get drunk or anything at age 11, but I really loved the rush of it. The thrill of doing something you weren't supposed to do or the rush from the alcohol? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was a rush of doing something I know is wrong. And it just, you know, kind of fueled this thing in me that I, I didn't realize that I had. And, you know, nothing came of it at that time. And I, I did that from time to time, you know, from 11, 12 and 13. And then I got introduced to uh, marijuana on a, a camping trip trip with one of my friends. I got stoned and high for the first time and I fell in love with it. And I realized at this point, I had this all or nothing mentality. Like if I'm, if I'm all in, I'm all in. I don't do things halfway, which can be a really good thing, but it can be right. also a destructive thing. Right. <laughs> you know? It depends on which way. I have a son that 
as he was growing up. He's just so clear. He's yeah. so strong. His spirit is so clear. And I just knew whichever way he decided to face, there wasn't going to be any changing it. So I was just hoping he would, you know, yeah. face toward the good because yeah. whatever it was he was going to do, he was going to do it all out. Yeah. You know, and I have seen it in my clients as well, where, you know, most addicts that I work with, they have this all or nothing mentality. And if they can just shift that energy into the right direction, they're the ones that are going to change the world. Mm, absolutely. They're going to go into it. So yeah, I started smoking pot at age 13 and 14, fell in love with it, started drinking every weekend, partying with my friends. And I just fell in love with it. And I started, you know, doing that from that age. And it, it led all the way up until you know, I ended up blowing up my life. And, uh, and so that's kind of how things got started for me. Okay. So when you say you fell in love with it, I'm not a drinker, so I don't know if you fell in love with it because it was an escape. You fell in love with it because it felt good. You fell in love with it because it still felt like you were a naughty boy. What did you fall in love with? When I smoked pot for the first time, I fell in love with the, how it made me feel. Didn't know it at the time, but, you know, looking back, it's easy to pinpoint that I didn't believe in myself. I felt less than. I had this belief system that I just really wasn't good enough. But when I got high for the first time, that feeling was so euphoric. I was like, man, I want to feel that again. Mm. So that's what I fell in love with was just that ultimate rush and that feeling and that high. You know, it sounds like you fell in love with a freedom from the mental pressure of feeling like you weren't enough. When you go to that space and all of a sudden, all of that's gone, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's a great way to say that for sure. Okay, that makes perfect sense. And you know, I'm thinking about the part of your story where your dad's there with the alcohol and you've got all this forbidden stuff. That's just a recipe. Of course, you're going to try it. What little kid isn't? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Don't eat sugar. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Exactly. Yeah. We always want to do what we can't, I guess, sometimes, especially when we're younger. We don't know any better at times. So what was the rock bottom for you then? How long did this go and what did rock bottom look like? You know, it continued. The drinking and the smoking of of the pot got to the point where I got bored with those things. And so I started trying to do anything I could get my hands on. I started snorting cocaine taking psychedelic mushrooms, drinking cough syrup. You know, back then speed was a big thing. Cross tops, we would we'd crush those up and snort them. And I got this reputation as this partier through high school and I kind of wore that as a badge of honor. And things really seemed completely fine at the time. But what I noticed the things started to change and shift in a negative way was my senior year is I noticed that again, that voice in my head uh, that I had that was negative saying, you're pathetic, you're no good, you look funny, no one's ever going to want to be with you. And I really walked around my senior year in high school depressed, having thoughts of ending my life, but you know, not, no, no serious plan to do it at that time. And uh, basketball was a big part of my story. I loved basketball. I was obsessed with it. I practiced two or three hours a day. Again, that all or nothing mentality. Once I was all in, I was going to be the best ever. And I ended up getting a offered a college scholarship towards the end of my senior year, which was an amazing thing. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, that was great. But then at the same time, I thought, okay, I've got this scholarship. Now I'm going to party like I've never partied before. It's the end of my senior year. And that's when things got really, really out of hand. Long story short, I started practicing with the team during the summer. I wasn't doing very well. And the coach ended up taking away my scholarship. 
So and why weren't you doing very well? Just because you were partying? Yeah, at this point, I'm drinking every day, smoking every day. I'm, I'm an addict at this point. I really wasn't practicing like I should, like I did before growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, mentally, spiritually, physically, I was a complete mess. And so when he took it away at the time, I was devastated and crushed. But I mean, I see why he did. I mean, I, I probably would have too if I was him. But when that happened, I became this kind of depressed individual, this depressed drunk. I ended up trying out at several other universities and colleges in Utah and a few out of state, got cut from every one of them. And then I ended up living in a home down in Orem with five other guys that we just sat and partied. I was attempting to go to school at uh, Utah Valley Community College at the time. And it hit me, and this was my rock bottom, is when I'm sitting there, I'm wasted, I'm crying, I'm depressed, and the reality slaps me upside the head and says, basketball is no longer a part of my future. All that practicing, all that time and effort, it's gone. You've lost a scholarship. Who does that? And so I planned to end my life. And so I planned my suicide at that moment. I was done. That was my rock bottom. How'd you get out of it? Well, the next day, which was Friday. So that that was a Thursday. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. But I knew it was a Thursday when I had this plan. I was going to go home and end my life. On Friday, I'm, I'm heading down the freeway or I'm heading down University Avenue in Provo, and right next to the freeway entrance is Utah Valley Community College. Well, my friends and I would always go sit at the tables there at lunch and just kind of socialize, and you know, we checked out girls and do the things that guys do. And Anyway, for whatever reason, I decided to stop there because it was about lunchtime, and I thought, I'm going to go sit there with my friends for a minute. It was kind of almost like my last goodbye to them. Sure. And so I go, I go in there, instead of heading home at that moment. And I sat down on this big round table where you could sit like 12 people. And I'm sitting there and we did this every day. And there was these two LDS girls that would come and sit with us every single day. I don't know why they did. They actually drove me a little crazy. (laughs) They were always talking, you know, trying to get us to come to church. And honestly, I was actually pretty rude to these girls. I said mean things to them. I teased them about their religion. Anyway, these two particular girls just happened to be sitting right next to me this particular day. And then all my friends were on the other side of the table. And everyone's in their own conversation. And I'm in my head thinking about what I'm going to go home and do. And I overhear these two girls next to me speaking about fasting and prayer. I'd never heard that before. I honestly didn't even know what fasting meant. I had no clue. And I didn't dare say anything with everyone at the table. So I waited And I thought, well, if everyone stands up and goes, I will ask these girls what they were talking about. But so I did. And these girls get up and they start walking away, going to their class or wherever they were going. And I follow them for a minute and I I tap them on the shoulder and I said, hey, were you just talking about fasting and prayer? And and they kind of laughed and chuckled like, yeah, why do you want to know? Because they were used to me just teasing them about their religion. So they thought I was joking. And I said, no, I'm being really serious here. I like, what does that even mean? What is that? So they went on to explain you know, in our religion, we we fast once a month. We start with a prayer. We go the whole day without food or water. And as they're explaining it to me, in my head, I'm going, what is the point of this? I thought it was, I honestly thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> Why would you go the whole day without eating? <laughs> and, uh, and I still kind of think that. Yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. yeah I kind of wonder that too. Uh, <laughs> and then they said, you know, and then we end with a prayer. And then I just asked them, I said, what's the point? Why do you guys do this? And I'll never forget one of the girls pointed right in my face and said, if you want help from God, 
And when she said that, for whatever reason, that just, it hit me right between the eyes. And I thought, wow. And see, I didn't grow up religious. We didn't go to church. We didn't talk about God. So I never said there wasn't a God, but I didn't say there was one. I was kind of like just middle ground. I didn't know either way. When she said that, I thought, is there a God and would he help me? So instead of going home and ending my life, I decided to stay down there and put that uh, fast and prayer to the test. Wow. What happened? I stayed down in this house that was this party house that with all my roommates. So Saturday comes now. It's now Saturday morning. And the girl said, start with a prayer. And I knew what prayer was, but I didn't want my roommates to see. So I went into this small little coat closet, got on my knees because I actually have to because there's coats in that closet. And I'm on my knees and I literally just say, God, if you're there, I need help. And that's all I said. I didn't say anything else. And I got up and I made it till about noon, I think, without you know, eating food or drinking anything. It was the first time since I was 14 that I didn't smoke, pop a pill, have a drink. And I was really angry and actually kind of really upset, just in a bad mood. And even my roommates were like, what's your problem? I didn't tell them. I just said, leave me alone. I don't want to talk. Well, I made it till about noon. The girls said, end with a prayer. So that's exactly what I did. I went back into that same closet and I got on my knees and I said, God, if you're there, I did this fast. I need help. And being naive of this whole thing, I waited and waited for God to do something, to show up, and nothing happened. And I actually was a little disappointed because these girls didn't tell me, you know, hey, sometimes prayers take a while to get answered, and they get answered in certain ways, and they didn't go through all those details. So I was just naive. You got to understand, I had no clue. I just thought, okay, I did this. God's probably going to do something right now, you know, or he's going to show up. (laughs) Sure. And nothing happened. And I ended up getting wasted that day. I was really depressed again. Those thoughts of ending my life kept coming back into my mind. And I wrestled with this for about a month. And then I get a a random phone call from a friend of mine named Rich Saunders, who I played basketball with at Brighton High School. And he had since obviously graduated from high school. He went on a mission. He was now back. He was married in the temple. And he gives me this random call. I hadn't talked to him since high school. And he said, hey, Todd, where are you at? And I says, I'm down here in Orem. He goes, so am I. He goes, I'd really love to talk to you today. Would you be willing to come over to my apartment? I said, yeah, sure. You know, and at the time, I thought that was a little strange. You know, I was like, because we hadn't talked for a long time. So I head over to his apartment. I get over there. We're sitting down on this couch. And we're just catching up some weather talk stuff. And then all of a sudden, Lori, he starts saying all these nice things about me. You're such a good person, Todd. You're going to help so many people in your life. You're going to And he kept saying, you're going to help kids over and over again. And it was the most, I mean, if he had said it once, it would have been weird, but he kept (laughs) saying it over and over, which even made it more bizarre. And I finally, I got so uncomfortable with it. I said, hey, whoa, Rich, stop. I go, I don't know why you're saying all this, but you have no idea. My life right now is a total mess. So I'd appreciate if you'd stop saying all those things. Like, why are you even saying that? And then he goes, Todd, he goes, I didn't go to work today because I had to stay home and share a message with you. And I'm like, what's going on? I go, is everything okay? He's like, no, everything's fine. And I I can tell he's nervous. He's sitting there and I can tell he wants to say something, but he's nervous to say it. (laughs) And we're just sitting there in this awkward moment. And then all of a sudden he goes, looks me in the eye and said, Todd, the Lord came to me last night and says, we need you on our side today. And when he had said those words, you know how your mind can rewind back to moments? It went back to the moment when I was on my knees in that closet asking God for help. And when he had said that, 
my mind rewinded. I felt like I didn't know it then, but I just describe it as a love of God. I felt it in every cell of my body. And it actually, to be honest with you, Lori, it scared me. I didn't, it felt so good. I had, I wasn't used to that. I was like, whoa, what is this feeling? And I ended up telling Rich, I said, I fasted and prayed about a month ago for, for help from God. And he gets in my face and says, this is your help. <laughs> and it was just like this moment where, and then we sat there and in my head, I kept going, did this just happen? Did I really just get an answer? to my fast and prayer. Wow. Uh, I was, we were just blown away. I'm blown away. What a sacred and oh. wonderful experience. Oh my gosh. It's like a, a Saul Paul experience. It was unbelievable. But I'll tell you, you know, he ended up lining me up with a, my bishop who I didn't even know I had, but he, he knew that I had one. I just didn't know it. And he set up an appointment with his bishop. And I've got to share this part of this story because this is where Truly, I, my life changed forever. And I think your listeners will really appreciate this. I uh, ended up meeting with this bishop and I told him my whole story. I told him what I'd been doing, all the drugs, the alcohol, the, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the manipulating. And I started meeting with this bishop every week. And he wanted to meet with me every week for a year. And you got to remember, this was back before there was a rehab on every street corner like there is today. There weren't rehabs back then. I think there was one. What year did you graduate from high school? 86. Okay. Yep. 1986. Yeah. So anyway, um, I start meeting with this bishop and I, I'll be honest with you, I'm still struggling. And one of the things he told me, he goes, I need you to be honest with me every week. You come see me. And I said, well, I can do that. What do you mean? He goes, well, if you use, if you drink, if you lie, cheat still, just tell me. I said, I think I can do that. I just told you everything already. So it takes me eight and a half months, Lori, before I can look the bishop in the eye and say, I made it three days clean this week. I had used the entire time in that eight and a half months. And I was struggling. I wasn't doing well. As good as it was to meet with this bishop, I was still having a rough time. And I was even still thinking of suicidal thoughts. And I thought being clean would be too impossible and you know, so on. It's not something that shifts easily. It, no. you know, that's a, you're down a dark path that's really crowded and overgrown with all kinds of vines yeah. that hold you captive, to get out of that is no small process. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, at the same time, I am a bartender at a restaurant, which is not a good idea. Yeah, good, good call. Good call on that job. <laughs> well, as a bartender, I'd get tips from the waiters and waitresses and then anyone would sit at the bar and I got really good at getting tips and I would get a lot of change from the customers and I'd keep this change in the cup holders of my car and I'd keep, you know, quarters, nickels, dimes and all that. And I had about $40 with quarters, nickels and dimes in my cup holders in my car. And about this eighth and a half month mark where I made it three days clean, I'm driving out of my neighborhood and out of the corner of my eye, I see this little girl selling lemonade. No big deal. I think nothing up. I drive right on past. And then I have this impression come over me that says, turn around and give her all the money in your car. And I thought, wow, that'll be awesome because I've got about $40 worth of change. And so I flip my car around. I pull up. There's this cute little girl selling lemonade. I rolled down my window. I said, how much for a cup? She said, 25 cents. And I said, I'll, I'll take one. And so she pours a glass, hands it to me. I set it on my dashboard. And then I tell her to cup her hands together and hold them out front of her body. And so she did. And I start scooping all this money into her hands. And she's freaking out. She's like, no way. And it takes me like eight or nine scoops. And I'm not kidding you. She was freaking out. 
I was going, this is incredible. And I'm giving her this. And all of a sudden, she takes into the ha- off into the house. And I'm thinking, she's going to go tell her parents some dude just gave her a million dollars, you know. And as I pull away, I start to cry like I never cried before in my entire life. I don't know, you know, if your listeners can relate. If you've ever cried so hard, you feel like you're cleansing your soul. This is exactly what it felt like. And I have to pull my car over, put it in park, and I sobbed for about 20, 30 minutes. And in that moment, Lori, I felt like I mattered. I felt like I wanted to be clean. I loved who I was in that moment. This lit my soul on fire. And that all or nothing mentality kicks in again. And I thought, if that girl's there next Saturday, I'm going to give her all my money. So on purpose, the next Saturday, I drive by and sure enough, there she is selling lemonade again. And I give her all my money again. She's like freaking out, like, no way. And she can't believe that I'm back. And I do this every Saturday for two and a half months. <laughs> yeah, she's not moving. This is, becomes a permanent lemonade stand yes. for her. <laughs> yeah, I think she got there just waiting for me to show up. Once I paid her, she got out and she was done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And then I'm just going to jump forward just a little bit of my story because this is where everything changed and what's led to me doing what I'm doing today. I decide after this two and a half months that I'm going to go to church for the first time. And what's interesting is the bishop never forced me to go to church. He never told me he was really patient with me, but I decided I'm going to go check it out and see what it's all about. So I go there, I'm by myself, I'm scared to death, I'm sitting in the back corner of the chapel, don't want to be there ultimately, I'm a little nervous, and I'm looking around to see who's in the who's there at church, and over on the other side of the chapel is that little lemonade girl with her mom, and she sees me and she starts, she's like, mom, there's the guy, she's pointing at me, there's the guy over there, and they're, they're both waving at me, and I'm like, oh, wow, and after- <laughs> After church is over, after the sacrament's over, they come walking over and the mom's crying and she gives me this really tight hug and she says, thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter. And I said, oh no, you have no idea what this has been doing for me. And she goes, no, she was saving for a trampoline. You put her over the top and she just thinks you're the greatest ever. And and I'm like, no, again, this has been for me. Then the mom goes, we have a favor to ask you. I said, what's that? She goes, on Wednesday, there's a daddy-daughter date. And she would really like you to go as her date. And I'm thinking, well, what about her dad? And so I even say that, well, what about her dad? And she says, well, and we divorced when she was younger and he's not around and she would really love to go. And so I end up saying yes. <laughs> and little does the mom know she's going to ask this drug addict to take her fourth grade daughter. And so Wednesday comes, I go pick up this girl. I'm scared to death. It's like this first date. My heart's pounding. I don't even know what I'm, I don't even know this girl. And we get up to this campsite up Big Cottonwood Canyon, and all the dads are there with their daughters. And I don't know anyone there. I don't know her. And I'm going, why did I say yes? Why am I here? And anyway, so we start playing games. One of the games was, how well do you know your daughter? How well do you know your dad? I look at her and go, I'm sorry, we can't do this game. And she's like, no, let's just guess. I kid you not, we almost get every answer correct. Like favorite color, favorite food. We're like high-fiving each other. <laughs> it was a surreal thing. And... And I'm sitting there, and it hits me. I'm like, I can't believe I'm here with this pure, innocent girl doing great things. I'm used to waking up with puke all over me, you know, doing horrible things, hungover, depressed, sad. And I'm here with this amazing girl doing amazing things, and we're having hot dogs and Kool-Aid. I'm just like, man, this is just so surreal for me right now. 
Do you know what I love about this is that it's such a picture of the tender mercies of the Lord. He will lead and guide us in such small, incremental ways if we even will listen a little bit to help us connect with who we need to connect with and be where we need to be and teach us in a way that we can hear if we'll even just give a little. And the thing that's fascinating is, I mean, there's really direct stuff in this story, like, you know, He says, God came to him and, you know, I mean, that doesn't get more direct than that, a direct message to you and about you. That's phenomenal. But then there's all these little things that in real life are so incremental of, you know, listening to a prompting to give away all the money and who knows what effect that's going to have and being willing to meet with a, a member of the clergy day after day, despite how difficult and it's a road and it's a real road and it's a messy road, but looking back on it and listening to the story, it is just filled with grace and tender mercies and care for you as you learn and walk this path. It's really amazing. Yeah. Still blows my mind that this is, you know, that I was able to experience these things. And Oh, it's really beautiful, Todd. Yeah. And I just want to end with one last thing is when they gathered everyone in to say and talk about what you just said there about these tender mercies. They bring everyone in to say a blessing on the food, on the hot dogs and Kool-Aid, which I thought was weird. <laughs> I, I, I thought, is there something wrong with the hot dogs? Why, why are we blessing? You're like, yeah, there's a lot wrong with the hot yeah. dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, during this prayer, just a simple little prayer is when I hear a voice in my head saying, Todd, you're in the right place doing the right thing. You made an impact on this girl's life that she'll never forget. And I love you. And again, it was this God's love from head to toe. And I, I just lose it. I just start crying. And, you know, the prayer, you know, he ends the prayer and they're all looking at me. I don't know anybody. And I'm over there just bawling. Mm. And, you know, the girl, that you know, Lindy was her name. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, everything's fine. These are happy tears. And it was in that moment, Lori, when I made the decision that I will never use drugs again. I will never drink again. I'll, I'm going to do my best to never lie, cheat, manipulate, or steal. And I'm going to dedicate my life to helping others, including especially kids at that time, to never have to go through what I'm going through. Or if they're going through it, I'm going to help them find the path off of it. And I've been clean now for 30 years. So did you do that from that decision forward? You were able to stop. Yep. I ended up meeting with that bishop for a year and a half every week. He ended up being my rehab, honestly. Yeah. And and then just the spirit and these tender mercies. But it was that moment. That was it. It was game over. I'm never going back. And since then, I can't believe what I'm even doing. I can't even believe I'm doing this today with you. And what a blessing this all has been. And I've been able to help other people in the same predicament I was. And I just feel very, very fortunate and blessed. Well, yeah, you've done phenomenal things. So how did you hop onto the path then of this anti-drug entity, the slide jog? Tell, tell us about that. Slide dog, drug-free is me, all the elementary school. What, what did that path look like? I'm in my room, honestly, writing in a notebook, and I'm trying to think of ideas of how I can help other people. Well, my nickname in high school was Sly Dog because I had my last name Sylvester and I actually had a dog and we named the dog Sly. <laughs> so all my friends called me Sly Dog, even my teachers, it was my nickname. Well, I start doodling this dog in this notebook and then I had this flood of inspiration that I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to create a cartoon character, take it around to all the elementary schools and share a message of hope, belief and love and 
you know, help kids to never do what I've done, like drugs and, and to live their dreams. And his motto was drug free, that's me. And I did that. I ended up, I'll never forget, I walked into my very first school, asked the principal if I could come share this program. The, the principal said yes. And for the next five years, I spoke to over 100,000 kids. And what was interesting from that is I'd have parents come up to me and go, oh, my kid loves your program so much. Would you work with him one-on-one? -on -one? And I say yes, but not knowing, I don't have a clue. I've never done one-on-one -on -one counseling or life coaching. or. But that's how my life coaching started was I started meeting these kids who just wanted to start meeting with me who might be struggling with you know, you know, not having friends and this and that. And since that time, I've now done over close to 16,000 one-on-one sessions in the last 30 years since then. Wow, 16,000. Yes. So this is what you do as a career now. Yes. Is that correct? Do you counsel? Yep. Okay. Yep. I do live coaching and mentoring. I do speaking events. I've done now over 1,500 speaking events that's led from all of that. And it started obviously way back when I met those two girls at the Lemonade or at, the, at UVU. But, you know, it's just... How, it, like you said, all these tender mercies along the way, like, I can't even believe I was able to go do a drug-free program in elementary schools. Like, who gets to do that? Isn't that amazing that you can take something? And I actually see this really often with the people that I work with on the podcast. They have something really difficult that they go through, and they want to help others. It comes from this beautiful place inside of, I want to help others not have to walk this horrible path. And I want to show them how to get through it. You're like yeah. the lighthouse. And Absolutely. so then they create a program or a space to do that. And in doing that, you came up with your four life-changing principles that you teach. And I thought those were wonderful. Will you share those with us? I will. Yes. And before I do, I want to answer what you said, how these people who go through something difficult and then they get in a position to give back and help. I say this to my clients, especially, you know, the ones that are addicted to drugs and alcohol, that addiction is your wake-up call to your greatness. And you could switch that to saying your trial, your difficulties is the wake-up call to your greatness. Because these people who go through these difficult things are now in a position to, to make an impact on this world that's just absolutely amazing. And so... Just to answer what you said there, I hope that was okay. <laughs> yeah, well, and let me ask you this. This is a total side question here, but one I've been thinking about. There are so many people who, you know, claim to be life coaches and are, you know, right. jumping on one bandwagon or another. Do you think that people find more success when they go into it with just a desire to help and are less focused on money or when people go into it with a really strong marketing and money background and are focused on making it a career? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and, and, and I'm, they're, they're probably good both ways for sure, but I think it's more authentic and more real when someone's been through it. One of the things I get from my clients all the time is they go, man, I'm so grateful that you're so real and you've been through exactly what I've been through. And so you completely understand. So I think there's an advantage to that for sure of being in that position versus, I mean, because I know if I was doing it for, you know, just to make money and get my name out there and you know everyone look at me I wouldn't be as, as successful as I've been in my opinion yeah let's just we can transition away from that that was a squirrel thought on my <laughs> on my part because I really want to know about the four life-changing principles okay. so let's four life-changing principles I'll list them off and then we can elaborate on whatever one you want so the four that I've and again I've learned this through experience and I've learned it 
by watching my clients go through it. And it's just, it's been time tested and it's beautiful. The first one is believe that you have it and you have it. And it's based off of a, the scripture in Mark eleven twenty four that says, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when ye pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And it's one of the most powerful concepts that I teach my clients is that belief dictates the way we behave. And so, again, it's an old Latin proverb that says, believe that you have it and you have it. So that's my first one. The second one is... Wait, before you go off that one, I just want to point out, I've been studying, working on studying and digging through some of the laws of the universe and how they work. And that concept right there is actually used over and over and over in the scriptures. That, That call and understanding of faith being a first principle in order to create. We as creators, to make something, to bring it into existence... It is required first that we believe, you know, and yeah. even with Jesus before he did every miracle, he knew it was going to happen and he thanked God for it, right? Before yeah. he even did it, he believed and knew that he could do it. And and he asked everyone that before he did miracles for them, do you believe that this can happen? And yeah. so I think it is a universal, I absolutely believe that it is a universal law and principle that belief is that first principle for creating. Yeah. No, I love it. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said. And I I think sometimes we just forget that. You know, I think God really expects us to believe. Hope has its place, but I think eventually that hope needs to turn into that belief. And that does take some time. And But uh, yeah, so that's the first one I talk about. And I've got a really powerful story behind that. I don't know if we have time to get into that. But the next one is what follows I am follows you. So a lot of times, you know, I work with clients and they've labeled themselves broken, damaged, diseased, powerless. I'm no good. I can't. All do- the time. Absolutely. It's the stories that people are telling themselves about themselves. We talk yeah. about this all the time on the podcast. Yeah. The most powerful force in the human psyche is the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And so, and it becomes our reality, good or bad. And I have a story that's behind that, that I had a, a really cool experience at the Utah State Prison. And if there's time, we can get into that as well. I'm speaking at the Utah State Prison this past December, almost, uh, I guess, almost a year ago. And it was the first time I've ever spoken there. I've spoken to the Salt Lake Youth Detention several times and other facilities like that, but never the prison. And I was a little intimidated, a little nervous. I go there to speak. They want me to share my story. They want me to take an hour and a half. Well, I walk into this gymnasium and there's 120 inmates. And I was a little intimidated, I'm not going to lie, a little nervous. And I'm thinking, are these guys going to even listen to me? So anyway, I get up there and I start sharing my story. And I was shocked, to be totally honest with These guys listened. They never talked to their neighbor. They were sitting up in their chairs. It was the most amazing thing. I'm like, you know, I've never felt like the spirit was so strong. I'm just going to be honest. It was like, whoa. After I share my story, I have this impression to ask him this question. I said, how many of you, by a show of hands, are a criminal? And I'm not kidding you, every hand went up. As their hands were raised, I said, why are you lying to yourselves? And their hands start to slowly go down. They're looking at me like, dude, we're in prison. What do you mean? We're criminals. I says, why are you lying to yourselves? And then I asked them this question, by a show of hands, how many of you committed a crime today? Not one hand went up. I said, how many of you committed a crime yesterday? Not one hand went up. And I said, see, you're lying to yourselves. And then I asked them, how many of you have been honest today so far? 
every hand went up. And then I said, how many of you have done the right thing when no one was looking today? It looked like, again, every hand went up. Then I said, how many of you have respected your cellmate today? Every hand goes up again. And then I said, how many of you are following the rules today? Again, every hand goes up. And I said, see, you're lying. You guys label yourselves criminals, but what what I just proved to you, you guys are honest, you have integrity, you're respectful, and you're caring. And I kid you not, Lori, had I not been there, I wouldn't have believed it myself. I got a standing ovation for three minutes. Wow. They stood up, guys were crying, and I'm not doing it justice by even how I'm saying it now. It was the most, I had a guy like, waving his arms like what's up what what do you need he goes can i come give you a hug (laughs) comes up gives me this hug afterwards they all got in a line all 120 and shook my hand and as they walked by they said dude i've never been told that before thank you for having me look at life differently now yeah can you imagine how hungry they must have been for somebody to give them a break for somebody to see the good even if it's just one day of good yeah, it was amazing, Lori. That it is was, powerful. And then I ended, after that got done, I just ended, what follows I am follows you. So you get to choose. It was really powerful. Love uh, that. And then the next principle I talk about, and I call it the greatest truth. And it's something I learned through my own life. I actually learned it at the lemonade stand when I gave away all my money to this girl. And I actually have this quote on my wall that my clients see, and the quote is this, and it's from yours truly, the most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) It's the greatest truth. (laughs) Lori, it's so amazing when I'm sitting across from a heroin addict on day one, and I'm telling them that there's nothing wrong with them. They think I'm crazy. (laughs) I bet. It's amazing. So I get into that and how that came about. And then the last principle I always talk about is one of my favorites is if you want to be, give it away. So if you want to be happy, go give away happiness. If you want to be inspiring, go inspire someone. If you want to feel compassion today, go give away compassion. So if we want to be anything, go give it away. So, and I learned that when I gave away my money at the lemonade stand, ironically, what I earned as a bartender, what I got in return was a hundredfold of what I ever expected. But I wouldn't have gotten that had I not given it away. And so if we want to be anything, if we want to be strong, go help someone be strong today and you'll be twice as strong, right? These are awesome, like just wisdom, wisdom nuggets that each one of them individually can take you so far. Each one can be life-changing if you really let it settle in and work with it. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Those are the ones I always share. And I've learned, you know, like I said, through experience, and I feel very fortunate and blessed. And Heavenly Father has been so good to me and allowed me to... I always say this, Lori, if I could go back to my addiction and the depression and the sadness and all of that, if I could go back to it, and say one thing to it, I would say, thank you. Mm. And you want to know why? Because Because it brought you to where you are. Because I'm talking to you today, Lori. We wouldn't be doing this right now had I not gone through that. So I will go through that a hundred times more if it means that I get to sit down with you today and share some truths that maybe might spark some hope and love in someone who might hear this who might be struggling. I mean, are you kidding me? Hmm. This is incredible.
You know, I did an activity many years ago and it was fascinating, but I've also spoken with people about it many times since then and they've had similar experiences. So you pinpoint something that you really like in your life and that is beneficial. It's just something that you love about your life. And if you trace it backwards, decision by decision by decision of how you got there, it almost always comes from that seed of something bad that happened to you. And that's a really, really interesting trail because it helps us to realize that how much good can come from our places of struggle. I couldn't agree more. I think life happens for us. It's the scriptures testify of that, that it's all for our good. And if we can have that mentality, that, that attitude about it, that we will go on and do amazing things. You look at anyone, like you said, they've gone through something that's allowed them to actually be a light and an influence in this world. And I really believe the greater the darkness, the greater the light, and your light will shine brightly. So don't give up, you listeners who may be struggling. Keep fighting and keep praying and keep believing. And I promise you, this is all happening for a reason. Keep the faith, keep the hope. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your insights and the things you've learned for sharing your light. It's been awesome. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lori. And thank you for what you're doing and the light you are in this world. I really love what you're doing. I've, you know, I just, I've researched you and I just think what you're doing is fantastic. And I just feel honored to be one of the many amazing guests you've had on your podcast. I'm excited to share your story. Thank you. You bet. Thank you so much. No one grows up thinking, gosh, I want to be an addict when I grow up and lose control over my own choices. But somehow, lots and lots of people end up walking that messy, destructive path. There are many things that we can get addicted to. And the tragedy with addiction is the way that something else takes over our body and our agency. Just a few months ago, I had a friend who fell off the wagon after years of being drug-free. And that one decision did serious damage to his career, to his bank account, to his family relationships, to his self-respect, and a number of other things that he'd been developing as he was getting clean and creating a really positive life. It just broke my heart to watch it. You know, the saying goes that once an addict, always an addict. And because of that, we see the importance of not starting because once you're an addict, it's a constant struggle to make sure that you stay out of the places and away from the things that have held you so tightly in the past. So this constant struggle is the thing that we want to avoid that will make life so much easier. And I love Todd's work because the work that he's doing is helping children to learn at an early age how to stay away from this really destructive path, how to not even get caught up in it, the the importance of not stepping anywhere near that path so that entire lives can be saved and massive heartache avoided. I loved how he talked about shining his light, but also that little bit how we talked about others and you as the listener being able to shine your light from the experiences that you have had and helping and guiding others in your own individual ways. If you feel Todd's story could warn or help anyone that you know, please pass it along to them. And if you have a local elementary school where his program could help children, maybe look into that also. As I sign off today, I want to shamelessly plug my book, Life, which stands for Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, The 21 Life Connection Challenges. 
If you haven't got your copy yet, hop on Amazon or go to the website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, and there's a link there. You can get a copy for you and your family or your book club or your ladies group. Do these together with groups. You can do them alone for sure because these 21 Life Connection Challenges are ways for you to create beautiful lives of connection. And these challenges bring you to spaces of self-care and spaces of possibility because you're challenged to do things that you might not do that day. But I have watched these work with hundreds of people through coaching programs and I would love for you to be able to have this in your life. You can give them as gifts, but if you make a video of you and your group doing the challenges and you send it to me, I'll send you out some free Love Your Story t-shirts. So send your link to your videos to Lori J. Lee, L-O-R-I-J-L-E-E at MSN.com. And I'd love to see what you guys are doing out there with the challenges. Every time I get feedback on the experiences people are having, it just warms my heart. I would love it. Have a great week out there creating your best life story. Onward and upward, people.